And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even? Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. <laughs> your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packer. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Carson was top rookie. I'm saying it now. Ain't playing around with Tatum and Hay with a brown. We off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, man. She. Welcome to LA Tigers Potable! D. Boston Celtics podcast here on The Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter for The Athletic, Jay King, everyone. And it is a busy day today. Jay King has, his fingers are falling off from all the reporting he's been doing over the past four hours. The big news is that Gordon Hayward has decided to opt out of his $34 million contract uh, for next season. But we got uh, the end of the Vinny Sex Pants era, the end of the, possibly the end of the Semi-Ocelay era, Brad Wanamaker not getting a qualifying offer. We'll talk about all of those moves as the Celtics move into free agency. And then, of course, we have not talked about the Celtics uh, draft, which was Rather boring, but they did add uh, two prospects and another guy whose name I think is Jam. Um, so we'll get to all of that, but we have to start with the huge news that came right up at the five o'clock deadline today. Gordon Hayward has decided to opt out of $34 million next year to become an unrestricted free agent. Jay, were you surprised by this uh, announcement? Not really surprised. There's been enough noise around the NBA that you kind of thought this could be an option, even though $34.2 million is a lot of money. Um, but obviously this is big news, but what comes next is is bigger and more substantial. Where is Hayward going to sign? Will it be with the Celtics on a longer-term deal? Will it be with a team that has cap space where he can sign out right and leave the Celtics with nothing? Will it be to a destination that would involve a sign and trade where the Celtics could at least get back some level of assets? I'm not sure yet. Nobody I have talked to has sounded sure. 
about where Gordon Hayward will go. So everyone's just kind of waiting on this one. And, and it's a big one for the Celtics. We're all on Gordon time, all right? We thought we were going to get the this uh, announcement on Tuesday. It got pushed back to today, Thursday, really up until um, the deadline. And now, again, we're waiting for Gordon's decision. And it seems like he doesn't know where he wants to go. But it's interesting because all three of those options, uh, him resigning with the Celtics, a sign-and-trade, or him signing elsewhere, are still on the table. I think we... I mean, I think this him returning to the Celtics would be the most humorous uh, outcome at this point, just because of all the kind of speculation and what's been through. It would instantly create a kind of uh, incentive for the Celtics to probably trade him just so the, the possibility of losing him for nothing, as could happen right now, wouldn't happen again. But it just seems like that is, at least in my head, the most unlikely at least with the other two scenarios, him leaving outright or a sign and trade, there have been some rumors floated. Um, today we heard about the Knicks for the first time as a possible free agent destination. They have cap space galore, even though they just took on uh, Ed Davis uh, in a trade, but they still have like over $35 million in cap room. The Hawks have cap room, but, um, and then the other rumor I think we heard today was for a sign and trade was a deal with Indiana, uh, which is kind of the Miles Turner idea that's been kind of floating in the ether out there for a while. Um, we really have no idea for uh, the Celtics, but the the doomsday scenario, the absolutely worst thing that happened is if there's any kind of smoke to the Knicks rumors or if he actually does decide to go to somewhere like Atlanta, um, which would be a – interesting decision from a winning perspective the Knicks would be so weird it would be insane the Hawks would make some level of sense to me because I do think Trey Young is going to be really good I do think with Clint Capella with John Collins with Kevin Herter with some of their other young wings like they at least have reddish they at least have pieces that you could think okay I can go there I can be closer to the man than I am in Boston and we can make the playoffs and see what happens from there. The Knicks, like, I don't think he fits their timeline. I don't think they have anything particularly attractive. If he goes there, that would be a weird, weird money grab. He just doesn't feel like move. a New York player either. Like, he's he may want a bigger role, but it's not like you Hayward and Obi Toppin. Hayward, Obi Toppin, just like – Lighten up MSG. Like it, the Knicks came out of nowhere. Hey, I don't Obi know. Toppin can make it happen. Now, ooh, now you got different rhyme schemes. Like, go, I don't know how much shopping for Gordon don't. Hayward. <laughs> Obi Toppin. To me, it feels like the, the Knicks There's rumor. No stopping me when I get like this. I know it's obnoxious. Uh, Toppin. Uh, likes flopping every once in a while. Oh, yeah. Keep going. Got any more? No, I'm done. There's no top in that. There was no top in that when Jay King gets to go. And the Knicks feel like is like agents talk of just trying to get another deal going. And I don't know who has the leverage in this scenario, because if there is a sign and trade, that's something that the Celtics and Hayward have to agree with. If he has a preferred destination, is he willing to play the leverage game and be like, I do want to go to Indiana or something. And so like, you guys should work out a deal. But if you don't, if you guys like say the, 
Danny Ainge and the Celtics just don't like the package that Indiana's like would be willing to send back. Does Gordon Hayward be like, I'll I'll do it. I'll go to New York or I'll go to Atlanta. I don't know how flexible he is on that regard. If he has his heart set on Indiana, um, then it kind of puts the, I think the Celtics have more leverage to kind of get more assets out of the the Pacers. And so I don't know what the scenario is in terms of negotiation. They could have already, already have a deal in place and they would just be like a more competent organization than the Bucks and just not leak these things before free agency officially starts. But it's very curious to me where the kind of leverage and what's even being negotiated right now. I don't even know if hey, we're coming back to the Celtics on like a a short term or a, a kind of a longer term deal is even is something that's still an option. I mean, I know it's an option in terms of like what could be happen, but I don't even know if Hayward and the Celtics are trying to pursue something along those lines. Yeah. And then the other layer to this that makes it even more interesting is that the NBA has after the Bogdanovich stuff, I forget who it was reported that they sent out a memo about tampering. And even if you're talking to your own player, then negotiating a future contract is considered tampering during this phase, I believe. So whoever he's talking to, whoever Hayward's talking to, if he does have a deal on the table, which I assume he does, since he turned down a whopping $34.2 million player option, is this only silent because of the tampering possibility out there and that the league might be cracking down on this after the overt Bogdanovich nonsense <laughs> that happened? So that's something I wonder about too. And I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is there or, or what it would even mean um, if, if that is a factor. So just a lot going on right now with the Celtics, with the draft, with that. Um, if, if he does leave, like they wouldn't have much to replace him with. I mean, you could figure out maybe a sign and trade that would be beneficial. Indiana is obviously a, a place that has been bandied about and could at least bring some sort of useful player. Um, but like if he does go to a, a cap space team, who could they target with the mid-level exception? Like a Paul Millsap type? I said he would move the needle, didn't I? You did. I believe someone for the Athletic Boston wrote 10 potential free agent targets today. Was he on your list? The kid wrote that, and Paul Millsap sure was. He was number one up there. Paul Millsap. um, I just think he would make a lot of sense. I think if the Celtics do get somebody, it would be somebody who would help them play a little bigger at times at the four position, and Millsap would fit the bill really well. But that, who knows, man? Who knows? There's still a lot up in the air right now between everything with Gordon Hayward, between, you know. We got, we got new Brad Wanamaker did not get a qualifying offer uh, extended to him. It feels like his uh, future with the Celtics could be directly linked to Hayward um, because they'll have a little bit more money to spend if he if he does not come back. And it sounds like Brad Wanamaker does not want to play for the veteran minimum. And so um, if Hayward's gone, maybe they spend a little bit more money I, to get I us love that Brad Wanamaker was sturdy and solid enough that he might not be a minimum guy anymore. He's not. I, I, I think he's worth a little bit more than the um, veteran minimum uh, because he is so uh, solid and sturdy. Other news today, Semi Ojale uh, got his option picked up, but 
his contract does not become fully guaranteed until Saturday. Yeah, that's a more important date for him. The option seemed like it was always going to be picked up, but this guarantee date on Saturday basically determines whether or not they would keep him or waive him. It's the type of thing where you, if the Celtics have a trade or trying to get, like, I think if Hayward leaves, then they uh, could cobble together enough salary. Uh, oh, we completely forgot. Ennis Cantor opted in today. I would have forgot to mention that, but he will be uh, be paid $5 million. It was a big one, albeit an expected one, given that the market for big men, he probably wasn't going to get any more than that. Um so yeah, and Vincent Poirier, the end of the sex pants era. He oh, had Packer just poured out a sip of beer for the sex pants era, which lasted one glorious year. He got traded for nothing, essentially. The Celtics paid cash to trade him for nothing, um, but they. Saved a roster spot or cleared a roster spot, trimmed a little salary by doing that. It was a hell of an era. He, the man, Jam, that was your first nickname that really stuck. <laughs> That's the first one that worked. I mean, I tried for Tito for a while on Terry Rozier. He really didn't like that. But yeah, Sex Pants era, he came in wearing some Versace suits. He really uh, shades. And he was—he really embraced the nickname before anyone else when he started calling himself uh, Vinny Sex Finger after surgery, which was gross but fitting for the moment. Uh, never the greatest uh, player on the court, but that uh, was a horrible signing. It really didn't work out well. Horrible signing. They, they gave him more than the minimum for two guaranteed years, and he came and did literally nothing. There were times when they'd have like three centers injured. And Stevens still wouldn't put Poirier in the game. When he did put Poirier in the game, there were rarely any flashes of competence. It was a really bad signing, but he seems like a really good guy. He also ended his era by maybe having the first worthwhile eyes emoji usage of NBA history. He posted on Instagram 10 hours before the trade happened, the eyes emoji. And I have to think he knew at that point he was getting traded, right? And he was leaning into it. That would fit his personality. Yeah, he's been very open online. He actually like, joined uh, a group chat on Twitter of some uh, like weird Celtics Twitter people who like hip hop, and they were just like talking about hip hop and video games recently. Like he's been. Hold on, hold on. I need to hear what happened here. They were just like, you can invite anyone on Twitter into like a group DM, and they invited Vinny in and just started talking about like Call of Duty and. He's a man of the people. Vinny, he, like, he's always been a man of the people. He's the type of person he definitely checks his mentions, and you could always rely on him for that. That's how he embraced the Vinny Sex Pants nickname, started calling himself Vinny Sex Shades, wore uh, very cool outfits at all times. Uh, it's interesting in terms of a roster-building perspective. They traded out – basically it just gave – they sold him away, and but if they're trying to kind of create salaries to match for kind of maybe trading for another player, they basically gave away the what his two million dollars. And so, I think now if you guarantee Ojale's contract with Ennis and then throw in someone like Carson Edwards, you can maybe get up to like seven million dollars in salary for a trade. Uh, but 
I don't know if it necessarily hurt their flexibility, but they, it's it's one of the trades they do. Oh, another move they did today, extending qualifying offers to both Taco Fall and Tremont Waters, which I think are just basically more two-way deals. Uh, yeah, so the, the, those are two-way deal qualifying offers, which they they can sign at any time if they want, but it also gives the Celtics the right to match any offer that they receive. So it makes them restrictive free agents. So... Does I mean, another team want to take like a flyer and give an actual roster spot to either of those players? The thing that's interesting to me is Taco feels like much more of a project. I think Tremont Waters is an NBA basketball player, and I don't think he's necessarily going to want to be on a two-way. Two-way contracts are definitely going to be different this year. There's no longer that 45-day limit. There's a question if there's going to even be a G League season. And so if you take a two-way deal – it's probably much more like actually just being on the NBA roster. Uh, you might not be as act, like active for as many games, but you're probably going to be with the team. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if Tremont got more kind of a look from other um, other teams who are looking for maybe a, like a backup point guard uh, type role. Yeah, I, I know he has believers out there, including some in the Celtics organization. I, I mean, roster spots are going to be – tight in Boston otherwise I and may, maybe even so but otherwise at least I think he'd make a lot of sense on like one of those longer term team friendly deals where you bring him in if if he becomes an NBA player cool and you get him on a cheap deal if he doesn't then, what's going on here? Uh, my heat just turned on you got some loud-ass motherfucking heat. <laughs> Is it still loud? Jesus Christ. No, nah, you're good now. Well, that's your heat? Your yeah. heat sounds like that? Yeah. Good I Lord. bring the heat at all times. That's more powerful than Bam out of bio in them in the heat. That's <laughs> heat culture, baby. That's how you do it. Jesus Christ. You might have to keep this in the podcast. Oh, I, uh, every, I'm not editing any of this out. But, yeah, he... Tremont could be a candidate for a deal like that, but I do think the Celtics want to have a more veteran bench. I think that after what happened last year, kind of the way their season went where they weren't healthy a lot and it, it mattered that they didn't have enough shooting. It mattered that they didn't have enough playmaking. It mattered that they didn't really have much of a veteran presence on the bench. I think, I think this year they'll probably want to – modify that and go out and get veteran guys so that could hurt Draymond's chances of of sticking in Boston this year well it's clear that they wanted had some gaps on the roster last year and we'll use this point to transition to the draft but one of those gaps was shooting and that feels like basically all that Danny Ainge was trying to accomplish um when he selected with the 14th pick Aaron Neesmith uh, and then with the 26 pick, Peyton Pritchard. Uh, Neith Smith is, based, is from Vanderbilt. Some call him the best shooter in the draft. We'll note his 52% uh, from beyond the arc uh, in his uh, last year at Vanderbilt. That's a little bit of a suspect number to me. Uh, the guy played 14 games and shot 52% before getting hurt. There were some concerns about, I think, a, a f- injury that maybe caused him to slip. Uh, but what was your reaction to the Neesmith pick? Uh, I, I try not to have like 
super hot takes on draft night because I normally don't know as much as teams do about guys. From what I gathered on Neesmith through talking to other people and watching film myself, is that he could really be a good shooter. And I know the small sample size is there, but in the 14 games he did play, he hit at least seven threes four different times. I think he hit at least three threes 11 out of those 14 games. Um, one rival front office guy pointed out to me that the games Neesmith did play were all against or mostly against shit teams. Bad non-conference teams. They didn't get to SEC play, really. Yeah, so so that's that's a factor. But if a guy can shoot the ball, a guy can shoot the ball. And he called himself an absolute sniper in his post draft press conference, which is a good sign that he's at least confident. Um, and then the other part about him is he can shoot off the move, and he's six six. And I think part of what the Celtics saw with Carson Edwards was that even though he had a really good reputation as a shooter, and obviously had some super high scoring games at Purdue. Being small and a shooter makes things a lot tougher. And having good size to shoot over people, having a high release, that type of stuff matters. So I'm interested to see, like, what kind of role the Celtics envision for Neesmith. Like, do they want to develop him sort of like Duncan Robinson and just have him, like, flying around screens all the time? I'm trying to think of a player Brad Stevens has had like that. I don't think he's really had one. Has he? I can't think of a guy whose sole purpose was to just kind of run around and kind of create motion on the offense it, and just whose sole job was shooting. I think the it's interesting because when I was reading Sam Vecini's kind of uh, summary of uh, Neesmith's strengths and weaknesses, the strengths sounded a lot like Duncan Robinson. Like this guy can uh, shoot off the dribble, can shoot off dribble handoffs, is great coming around screens. Might not be, the, but then his weaknesses also sound is like might not be the best moving laterally defensively, uh, is not a playmaker, is not someone who's going to attack the basket. It feels like it's something that would fit well with the Celtics' current offense. Like he doesn't need, I know that Brad Stevens plays like a more egalitarian read and react style, but really for Neesmith to make an impact, he basically has to knock down quarter threes or be the type of guy who you can run a play for and will knock down shots um, because he's clearly not going to get the attention of uh, like the, um, of the offense and like, he's going to have chances to get shots. And so it, it kind of change It creates a different dynamic for the Celtics offense, which is one they just never had before. You mentioned just being taller, six, six. He also big positive wingspan guy, six eleven wingspan. He claims that's a plus five inches. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. He's going to get some, uh, be able to get his shots off. Um, also, farm. And he wasn't just a shooter in, in college. He averaged twenty three points a game. He did some stuff off the dribble. Like he's not totally just a shooter. Um, but that, but that's why they drafted him. That's because what they, he does best. Yeah. Yeah, and his his personality is funny. His video for the draft was like he has built multiple chicken coops used to spend 12 hours a day chopping down trees, known farmer. Uh, he's dug multiple ponds. He's just seems like a nice guy from South Carolina. There's a video going around of him teaching everyone how to make French toast. He seems just like a, a, a good young man, uh, very much in the uh, uh, Grant Williams phase. But it's going to be interesting to see how much playing time he gets moving on or early on in the season. 
they have no time for like he's going to be in training camp immediately with no summer summer league. Uh, Brad Stevens historically not a big on uh, giving rookies playing time, but if they he is shooting as good as uh, kind of you would hope he would be, um, it's definitely something the Celtics could use coming off the bench because this is something you I think brought up every single week last season. The Celtics bench just did not make threes. They they never made threes. Shemi Ojale was their best three-point shooter from a percentage standpoint on the bench. Marcus Smart ended up starting so many games, he wasn't even really a bench piece. Brad Wanamaker hit threes at a hot, pretty good clip, but hardly ever took them. So having a real shooter, if Neesmith is a real shooter and can become a real NBA shooter, would be a big deal. And And for his development, like it's a huge difference between a guy who can stand there and make threes or shoot like a little bit off the dribble and someone who can really like race around screens and move all the time and do it. And to do that, Neesmith's going to have to get in great shape. He's going to have to be able to run around all the time and he's going to have to get accurate with a super quick release like Duncan Robinson did. If you look at Duncan Robinson's release when he was in college compared to now with the heat, it is night and day. And so Neesmith, if he's smart, would be working on all of that stuff. And if he can do it, like he definitely has the, the look of a player who could become that. And I mean, that would be really, really important for the Celtics. But there's a huge difference between that and a guy who just stands there like a Shemi Ojale and hits a decent amount of shots or a, an Alan Crabb even who gets up more shots than Sam Vecini mentioned in his scouting report on Neesmith. Like Alan Crabb was a, a very good percentage shooter who didn't like have enough three-point versatility to make teams pay enough attention to him for it to matter. The best guys make guys pay attention to them. And if Neesmith becomes that, this will be a great, great pick. If he doesn't, then we'll see. I'm just thinking of like the Celtics kind of stagnant offense late in games um, in the last playoff run and how much attention that Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker would get uh, while teams are defending them. If you have a guy running around on screens and someone that you kind of always have to keep your eye on, it just would open up the floor uh, so much so for the Celtics, like main playmakers. And if you think about what Duncan Robinson did, that's basically what his sole role was. He wasn't like in the finals. It was shocking to Jeff Van Gundy when Duncan Robinson made a like made a layup. Uh, his entire role is just to run around screens, set screens, and just kind of reposition himself and kind of just be at the distraction. It was a major headache to defending him. If he can be anything like that, um, not maybe not necessarily next year, but some uh, point down the future, I just think it does so much for the Celtics offense in terms of uh, opening things up. And so we shall see. I don't know enough about the draft. Isn't it so weird that the Celtics picked a dude in the lottery who can shoot? It is quite weird. Normally they just go for like straight physical specimen tough guys and hopefully say we'll strap a ping pong paddle to their hand and uh, teach them to shoot. But no, this it feels like they were just going uh, straight shooting all the way. I don't know enough of the draft. Was there anyone else of kind of available at 14 that you thought they could have gone with instead that was maybe a better fit or someone you would, were intrigued by? I feel like draft Twitter – was a, uh, especially the Celtics draft Twitter were kind of upset with the pick. They thought there's better shooters out there, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a professional. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Gio Parfum, a long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, clary sage, and patchouli, which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. The, uh, I mean, the, the one thing that would have been really interesting would have been a trade up, I think, um, for one no of the, trades. the top prospects. We spent three weeks talking about how this was the tradiest draft of all time. Everyone wanted to move down. And nobody moved a lottery pick. Not one trade in the lottery. It was an interesting draft. What do you think about the first Zoom draft, where it's basically just like, here, let's go to this prospect's home and watch him cry? You know what? It's hard to pay attention to the ESPN draft. Because Twitter is where the draft happens. And and all the tweets from from Waj and Shams. Watch. Shams. Um they they there were like three picks ahead at some point. From what's actually going on. Yeah, they're they're literally three picks ahead sometimes. And so it's I did watch to, to watch Jay Billis be like, who could they take here? And you know who the next two picks are. And you know that he knows. So it it's it's a bizarre bizarre thing. They should just have like a Twitter scroll of and have the people live react to the tweets and Shams tweets. And it's just, insane that they continue this charade where they like we have to pretend like the pick is in. Like if they were at all smart, and they would just have like watch it live and have people react to the tweets. Think about how many like live draft shows were streamed on Twitch or like on many different platforms last night of people just reacting to things as tweets came in. You do, you could do that on live television and then you can go and get the emotional drama of just making every single prospect cry. That was pretty much my biggest takeaway uh, is like every time we went to a prospect's living room, there were tears. And I don't know if it was more emotional because of uh, COVID and pandemic being surrounded by family more, but Maybe Generation Z is just soft, uh, but that's the old man take. But a lot of tears, uh, a lot of tears in, across the nation. Happy tears. Uh, people were overjoyed, but I just thought it was – it felt like um, Malik Andrews was just trying to get every single person to cry. Yeah, wh- what do they ask prospects before the draft? Like what what types of tragedies have happened in your life that we could potentially ask you about on the Do you know anyone who's died life? recently? Can we talk about that on live television? And then it was always like think it just think about how much your parents have done to uh, impact you moving forward. And it's like just um, just like straight emotional questions, just trying to make these guys like uh, crack we, under the pressure. 
We, we a lot of weeping. A lot of weeping went down. I don't oh, remember. Hopkins was weeping. You have any more rhymes for that? Sweeping, creeping. Uh, I, I wasn't trying. Leaping. To Obi Top. Everyone was leaping. Um. Now let's get to the second pick of the night for the Boston Celtics. Peyton Pritchard, four-year point guard out of Oregon. People did not like this pick. If I if if I say draft Twitter was upset with the Neesmith pick, they were even more. My favorite part upset. about people getting upset with the Neesmith pick is that none of those people probably ever watched Neesmith play a game. No. Well, no one like they watch the same YouTube highlights as everyone else. Read the same draft profiles that everybody else does, and draft Twitter is the most, the biggest echo chamber of all time. So it's also infuriating to me because people are like, "Oh, that's a bad pick," and it's like you have no idea. Like if you go back and look at people's, no one goes back and looks at people's reactions to what like the 20th pick was in 2012. Like no one, you can have this huge reaction in the moment, but there's no ability for a guy to get better. There's no, uh, it's just like someone has like a, a idea about a player and then it's just like a good or a bad pick. And it's just, I don't know. It, historically, basically everything is a crapshoot after what? Like the eighth pick. Like occasionally you can get a guy like Giannis if you take a flyer on a big giant freak. Um, shouts to Poku in uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. But no one really knows. It's very hard to make it in this league. It's very much dependent on situation. And for people to be like immediately demand, be like, that's an awful pick, or you absolutely should have gone with this other guy. No one no one has any idea. And including the um, GMs themselves. It feels like the GMs themselves will admit like, yeah, we just kind of took a flyer on this guy or uh, we hoped he'd work in our system. But People have strong reactions, and they had very strong reactions to the Celtics taking Peyton Pritchard, uh, 6'2 point guard out of Oregon. He seemed like Danny Ainge talked about his like grit, his toughness uh, rising in the moment. He has able to shoot from distance, which is nice, but uh, I don't know, was kind of surprised by the idea of taking a smaller point guard uh just when you have Kemba Walker on the roster. He's not that small, but he's still – he's not a sturdy feller like uh, Brad Wanamaker. 6'2", 190 or so. Um, That's basically me. They, they basically and, drafted me if I could shoot well, and, I, and had heart. I think because Marcus Smart, assuming he comes off the bench, which might be assuming too he much. He might be the starter with, at this point. Gordon Hayward's situation in flux the way it is. Um, but the versatility of a lot of Boston's best players and the ball handling ability of a lot of their wings, including Smart, Tatum, and maybe even Jalen, who showed a tiny bit of it last year, but not too, too much of it. Um, like they could have even either gone with a wing, they could have gone with a point guard, and it all makes sense. I think with Kemba possibly missing time at the beginning of the season, I wouldn't be shocked if that happens, given the quick turnaround. Um, that like having an extra ball handler makes at least some amount of sense. And then in the first round of the draft, it's probably not wise to draft for fit, especially when you don't have like any overly important team needs to address. The Celtics probably just thought Peyton Pritchard was the best guy available. And I mean, he was a hell of a college player. I I don't know if everything he does will translate because he's 6'2 and not the greatest athlete. But 
that kid was fucking good at Oregon and can really run an offense, can really shoot the basketball and really competes. And I think, I mean, Mike Schmidt of ESPN said he's got some Fred Van Vliet in him. And I, I think it's it's dangerous to compare a guy to Fred Van Vliet because Fred Van Vliet is like the exception for a guy his size. And he has about to make $30 million. But. In the NBA. Um, but like there's there's definitely a, like a real a real competitiveness to Peyton Pritchard, which could help him stick at the next level and, and definitely helped him become a, a great college player. This is not a description that is based entirely on the fact that he is white. It is based on the film, but he's a scrappy player. He's a, and he's a, he seems to be a total gym rat. Um, and I know that is stereotypical, but that is something that like all of the scouting reports I've seen about him mention. Uh, and it seems like he has a lot of ferociousness, a lot of intensity, uh, that good. The Vicini uh, on the athletic talked about his main strength would be his ball handling and uh, kind of his playmaking in the pick and roll. Maybe some guy who can kind of uh, do something with the ball in his hands uh, as like a playmaker off the bench, but the size concerns are there. I do. I have seen a lot of highlights of him shooting the ball from deep, which uh, is cool. It's always good. Shooting uh, from distance is always a big thing. It's a huge thing you want Kemba Walker to work on. It seems like something uh, that Pritchard will be able to step into the league and at least be able to make shots from distance uh, from day one. And when he got drafted, Damian Lillard was on Twitter saying that Pritchard really worked for it and congratulating him and kind of giving a nod to his work ethic and Brad Stevens said both these guys are gym rats, which is kind of what you want from guys who have skills and and need to like become better athletes and become better defenders. Like if there's a, a baseline toughness there, then that can be a really good thing. Um, the thing I, that I think I, is, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I thought it was hilarious that Danny Ainge said he was attracted to. The way Pritchard plays, like what a, what a line that was. My my man just is just attracted to. He's been watching him for years. Peyton Pritchard's game. Danny Ainge getting a little excited going to the Pac uh, ten tournament, Pac twelve, and just getting attracted in the stands Peyton too. Pritchard really gets Ainge's juices flowing. I think the thing that's interesting about both of these picks, um, and it kind of goes back to something Danny Ainge said in a pre-draft interview, is that they both seem like they have quote-unquote NBA-ready skills uh, and aren't guys that you necessarily will spend a lot of time in the G League. And for kind of where the team is right now, they have established stars. Like, they're not really looking, nor did anyone really expect them to take, like, projects who might have all this potential and develop into something great. Like, Neesmith seems like he's going to have a role, which is uh, run around and knock down threes Whereas Pritchard is basically just backup, like his, the, his ceiling feels like backup point guard, make some plays. But with taking a four-year starter, like there are four-year uh, college player, uh, it seems like they're guys who are more NBA ready for, I know that's uh, no one's really NBA ready, but that is, that is a bullshit term. Take that term out of your mouth. Guys who are, why, more, why are they more NBA ready? 
because they are more grown men who could uh, play more basketball. I mean, Pritchard I played say, four and was one of the say, best players in college basketball. He's like in top five of player of the year voting. Yeah, but the NBA has shown us time and time again that it's often older guys that flop the hardest and aren't older NBA guys right. flop the hardest. That that felt poetic. Well, yeah. it feels like older, like he's not gonna be a flop. It's either he's like ready for the league. Like older guys, I think in the top five will uh, flop more. But I think if you're drafting for superstar potential, you're obviously gonna want to take a 19 year old or an 18 year old. But if you're you're basically was just looking for role players in this draft, that's the ceiling of it. Feels like these two guys. Neesmith seems like he has a little bit more potential of being a high end player just with his shooting ability and his size, but. It seems like they've got two guys who could potentially turn into role players who could play this season. You would not say the same about Carson Edwards or Tremont Waters uh, or some draft picks of the past who felt more like projects. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. These guys were also first-round picks, so they, they should be judged on a, probably a different um, sliding scale than those other guys. I also think right now – if Hayward leaves, especially the Celtics will have a lot of opportunity on the wing. Romeo Langford is hurt. He's still in a cast. He will not be ready for the start of training camp. If Hayward goes, then Marcus Smart has to slide into the starting lineup. Brad Wanamaker could be gone. Like Ojale could be gone. Those were both two of their Perimeter guys who played pretty regular minutes last year. There's going to be some opportunity there. So they better hope that Pritchard, Neesmith, or somebody that they sign in free agency is ready because there are minutes out there for guys to grab. So let's assume that Hayward leaves. It gives and Kemba, the- Kemba could be hurt too. Like We don't know what's going to happen. And the season's going to be weird, st- weird at the start of the season. Season starts in about two weeks, um, but let's do for a month. I mean, but they'll be back in training camp. Semantics at this point. We can talk about the rest of the draft. They traded the 30th pick um, basically for nothing. That was to be expected. Danny Ainge was pretty adamant that he didn't want to bring in a bunch of rookies. Then they traded a guy from Israel named uh, Yam, who seems like he's going to be a draft and stash guy, but I'm all in just based on name alone. I know nothing about him, but I'm a pro Yam Mater. This is a pro Yam Mater podcast and will always be a pro Yam Mater podcast. I don't know, Jay, any thoughts on the 30th pick or um, my main man, Yam? Uh, I mean, trading the 30th pick, they the Celtics kind of had no choice but to do that with the roster space limitations. They just weren't going to have enough room for another rookie especially if they want to go target some veterans in free agency um so they kind of had to do that i do think desmond bain was a guy that a lot of draft twitter loved that people were furious that the celtics drafted pritchard over desmond bain and i know there were some front office guys who really liked desmond bain too so if he does become a player trading that pick will end up sucking especially if brandon pritchard does not become a good player um you just well, call him brandon pritchard when his name's peyton yeah where, where'd that come from i don't know who's brandon pritchard you're i don't know you tell me man i, I don't know the name 
I've I've worked too much this week. I, I need this crazy week to end. You can't go straight from the draft to free agency. You cannot expect writers to go straight from the draft to opt. We're not even we're not even in free, free agency, agency yet. Free agency starts tomorrow. Like we haven't even started free agency, which is the wild thing. And I'm I in think- my fucking robe. I've I've taken one shower in five days. Sheesh. I haven't, I haven't worked out in like four or five days. It's it's been an ugly time for the kid. The kid needs needs some rest. The NBA can't be doing this shit. It cannot go from draft to free agency in the same fucking week. The writers are sick and tired of it. The NBA does not care about Jay King and his body decomposition and the atrophy of all his muscles and his uh, probably poor scent right now because free agency starts tomorrow. And let's play a, a, a thinking game about, like, let's say Hayward leaves. Let's say he, you know, goes to New York just to own the libs and he just is uh, going for the Knicks for a big contract. That gives the Celtics about $9 million, I think, with the mid-level exception. You mention a lot of room on the wing. You mentioned earlier in the podcast Paul Millsap. Who do you think their top targets are for guy? Like, what is their biggest need at that point if Hayward leaves? Is it to try to find someone to get those backup wing minutes, or is it trying to target someone, uh, maybe like a big like Aaron Baines or Tristan Thompson? I think a big. I think last year's Celtics didn't really have the option of going big and being defensive minded. Like when they went big, they went to Ennis Cantor, who's only a bucket and only a rebounder and isn't on the court for any other real purpose. Their big defensive lineup was Tyson Grant. Yeah, which is a 6'6 guy and a 6'8 guy. So I think they need to figure out how to upsize a little bit um, in a perfect world without giving up too much skill. Obviously, the skill was what separated them last year, and the skill was what gave them a chance to – to win and the skill really separated them from a lot of teams, especially when they were fully healthy. Um, but I do think like the best teams in the NBA are the most flexible teams in a lot of cases. And the Celtics just didn't have that big, big answer to for BAM or somebody else that could play on both ends of the court. Do you think and, that's somewhere Time Lord could step in? Or do you think like, because my idea, like thinking, is if they bring in Aaron Baines and it, like Hayward walks, they really don't have a backup forwards uh, on the bench whatsoever. And I don't like are you just waiting on Romeo to come in and, and produce. I don't know what they are. You relying a lot on Neesmith? It seems like a more of a glaring, like a glaring gap where they do have a lot of guys who can kind of play the five at this point. I mean, it's it's kind of a crazy like hypothetical to play because what happens with the Gordon Hayward scenario will have such an impact on who they target in free agency. So it might not even be worth it, but in the, in the hypothetical that he walks, it feels like they have a D like they'll have, maybe they keep canner at that point, but they'll have canner time Lord and Tice. It feels like there's a glaring hole at the wings right now. When I'm talking about the roster, a miles Turner trade, which I was not for, seems a little bit more, uh, more appealing just in terms of like losing Hayward for nothing. Um, but I don't know. It's if you're tired, Jay, I think you need to strap in, get a monster energy drink, maybe get some espresso because uh, whatever happens next is only going to make this season uh, that much more wild uh, and 
because whatever happens with Hayward is going to have huge repercussions on what happens for the Celtics next season. Oh, no doubt, motherfucker. <laughs> All right. Before we go. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, who knows what, where, what comes from your brain. Before we go, I, there is one thing that I think is important to talk about with regards to the Celtics, and that is their rivals, the Philadelphia 76ers, who Daryl Morey came in and started making moves. He traded Al Horford uh, for basically Danny Green. He was able traded uh, Josh Richardson for Seth Curry. And he's trying to put shooting around Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. The 76ers feel like just a much uh, improved team. The Bucks feel like a little bit of uh, an improved team. Uh what do you think about the Sixers' moves and how concerned should the Celtics be about uh, kind of the teams in their conference and division get a, getting seemingly better uh, fits? Or do you think it's a, a better fit? The Sixers make sense. After, which is not something we could say last year. After a year in which they were woefully mismatched, they make sense. And I think the guys that they picked up, Seth Curry, Danny Green, they picked up Tyree Mac, Tyrese Maxey in the draft. They're guys that should fit next to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and should help accentuate those guys' strengths, which is what they should have been trying to do all along. And I also think by moving out Horford and getting a little smaller and more flexible, like you could you can slide Tobias Harris over to the four. That makes him better. So I, I think they they did a lot to help themselves on draft night. I don't know if they're they're like ready yet. I still feel like they're a pick and roll guy away from being real contenders and maybe that'll come at at a different time, but they're definitely more formidable now. Um not from a talent perspective, but from a sheer fit perspective. They they should just be a lot better and I think it should help Simmons and Embiid quite a bit. And obviously them will no longer just be like ugly bully ball with scores in the low eighties. Like it feels like this will open up their offense a lot more. I don't know if the talent is necessarily there. They'll definitely lose stuff like um, kind of talent on the defensive end. Cause I just don't know. Uh, Danny green's pretty old at this point. Seth Curry's never really been known for his defense. Kind of weird. What what like, Seth Curry got his father-in-law is now his head coach of his team. Doc has coached his son and his son-in-law now, which is his son, his son-in-law and uh, Paul George, who was dating his daughter and then cheated on her. And then Doc Rivers had to continue to coach Paul. These these are rumors. These are rumors. Allegedly. I should have said allegedly in that because nothing is proven innocent until proven guilty. Uh, But wild stuff. It, Doc's got Doc's got a lot of personal personal things going on on the teams that he coaches, but I I also think that him being there um, should be a help. I, I think that he and I I also think and Daryl Morey said this after their draft that it could just help Simmons and Embiid. It could reinvigorate them that the formula is different because after last year. Like that was that must have been a trying year for those guys. It must have been a trying year for everybody in the organization. Now Al Horford is over in Oklahoma City playing on a bum ass team. But 
making that money. The Thunder may not be. Well, I guess they just shipped Kelly Oubre off, but they'll be not terrible. Um, I mean, who they got, bro? Shea Gildress Alexander, Stephen Adams, the Beers man, uh, about 17,000 draft picks. Draft picks ain't scored a bucket yet. (laughs) This is true, but um, hopefully Aaron – I saw that line from Dave Dufour. He used it on uh, (laughs) our NBA show (laughs) last night, and I was like, you know what? I kind of fucked with that line, so I stole it. That's absolutely true, but you know the Celtics have some got some guys in the draft who they hope can get some buckets. Aaron Neesmith, whose apparently new nickname is Green Bean, I'm for it. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, Yam, uh, who knows? But this is kind of like a temporary check-in podcast because everything could change in the next 24 to 48 hours if Gordon Hayward ever decides uh, where he's going to play. When it does inevitably change. We will be there for you, and we will recap every single move, uh, and we'll continue oh, providing yeah. coverage uh, oh, yeah. at least two times a week moving oh, up uh, yeah. until the Celtics actually start playing basketball. Uh, if you guys enjoy the show, tell a friend. Tell that friend to tell a friend. You know, just get, let's, let's get viral. Uh, let's get viral like COVID. You know what I mean? Let's do some super spreading of this podcast. It's probably not good to joke about that, and I immediately felt bad. And so I'm going to take that back. Uh, and retract that statement. But just just tell a friend about the podcast. All I'm trying to say. Jim Mater is way better than Jim Packer. <laughs> that is to be determined until he comes over. But thank you guys for listening to this uh, episode of Anything is Possible. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.